If you guys have Bibles, please do open them uh, to Exodus chapter 20. If you don't, we will have the text on the screen, so never fear. We are, um, we've been in a series in 1 Corinthians, and uh, you know, summer is when everybody goes everywhere, and I think we're all going to make up for lost time, and so that 1 Corinthians series, you have to pay close attention, so we're going to get back to it in fall. This summer, we're going to do a series in the Ten Commandments. Who's excited? Everybody. Everybody. That's who. No. Um, <laughs> here's the deal. I think the Ten Commandments are often misunderstood, as is the entire uh, law of God. So we're going we're gonna to hopefully, my goal, and it's ambitious, is that you guys would no longer look at the law of God as something difficult, but as something beautiful and a blessing. All right? If you don't believe me, just give me 10 sermons uh, to preach you about this, and we'll see how we're doing then. Uh, let's read the Word of God, Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Please pray with me. God, I, I pray that through your word, you would make us a new people, that, that as we reflect on, as we interact with what you say to us, that our response to you would be increasingly faithful, and that we would learn to trust you more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, I've been in Colorado now for 10 years. And uh, when you live in Colorado for 10 years, I know, natives, quiet. Uh, when you live in Colorado for 10 years, you get a little prideful about your ability to deal with snow, especially driving in snow and, you know, uh, shoveling snow and all these sorts of things. So you develop something I like to call snow-how. <laughs> that sucks. It's, you, you're all going to use it. You're all going to use it. I'm telling you. And, and so one time, one time I had uh, my, my wife's family, a couple family members from Tennessee were in town. And my niece, this was a couple years ago, my niece really wanted to go sledding. But it was, it was a time of year. We're at low altitude. We, we didn't have uh, low elevation. We didn't have any snow. So we took them up to a, a mountain pass. And, and, um, and the, the road in to, to this place you could go sledding was kind of buried. So this... We trudged in. I mean, it was rough. And my kids were a little smaller, so we're talking about carrying kids, carrying sleds. You have adults who are from sea level that need to rest every 20 feet. They're like, hold on, right? And, and you know, you're trudging. It's, it's, it's up to here. And then, you know, the kids sled and have fun, but the wind was brutal. And so I was like, oh, this is, this is my moment where I bust out my snow how to, to, to see it works. To, to impress my, my lowlander living family members, and I'm going to go, I'm going to get my, my SUV with snow tires, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it through, and, and I'm going to cut like two-thirds off of this miserable journey, and I'm, I'm going to get myself a nickname, like Highlander, something like that, you know? <laughs> like, they, would, they were just going to be super impressed. And so I go, and I get it, and I'm like, all right, here we go, bop out, right? And, and I immediately got stuck in a snowdrift. And I didn't have my snow shovel or kitty litter. Both are snow how 
essentials. And, um, and I was feeling dumb, but no one was looking. So I got out and I started like frantically just trying to dig out with my hands. And, and I was rocking and, and trying to get out. And then I finally did and I felt it come loose. So I hit it and I went right over the road into the ditch on the other side. And, and like, so I'm backing up and back into the snow drift. And I'm like, okay, but no, and, and overcorrect back to the ditch, right? And this went on for several minutes until I finally, I, I just, I, I, I felt like a whip dog, but I went and parked and, and walked back. <laughs> and I never got that cool nickname, unless one of you guys want to give it to me. But, you know, it, it, in the Christian life, there are so many things that are just like that. There's a path in the middle, and there are two equal opposite errors on either side that we easily get stuck in. And when we get stuck in one, to get out, we overcorrect and we go right across the road into the mistake on the other side. Not least of which, and, may, and maybe most, uh, most of which, is obedience versus grace. Right? Is it, is, it, is, is it all about the grace of God and that he forgives us, or is it all about walking in a faithful way? Because a lot of people understand the Christian faith to be something like a tryout for heaven, right? I'm going to prove through my righteous behavior that I deserve heaven and God's going to let me in. If that's your understanding of the Christian faith, let me just tell you that that, that isn't it, right? That isn't it at all. It, it, it's, it's not, and, and a lot of us, that's our understanding of it. And when I first became a Christian, that's kind of what I thought. And the problem with that is, first of all, it's nowhere in the Bible, <laughs> and, and opposite of what Jesus teaches. Second, it's impossible. Nothing will drive you to despair like trying to be good enough. If you have any self-awareness at all, and, and I did have some, you know, you know, when you look at what, what, what righteousness looks like in the Bible, you don't have it. And so the, the, the snowdrift of what's called legalism, trying to earn God's favor through good behavior, that is not the faith. And it was soon, by God's grace, I learned about the gospel. That it isn't because of what you've done that God saves you. It's because of what Jesus has done for you. In fact, none of us are righteous, right? None of us deserve it. And so Jesus died on the cross and rose again to give us salvation and God's favor as a free gift for no other reason than he loves us, nothing good in us. So you kind of get out of that snowdrift to legalism. And then I started getting teaching like, and you know what? Don't, don't worry about your behavior. You know, like you're, you're a moral mess and just stay a moral mess. It doesn't really matter. God's not super concerned with that. In fact, you know, that whole Old Testament thing, let's just disregard the Old Testament and Anytime there's a command in the New Testament, you know what that's there for? It's just to make you realize you can't do it. And now we've gone to the ditch, right? When we say, yeah, you know what? You can live as Tony Soprano if you want to, and God's not super concerned with that. It's like, oh, really? <laughs> I can just go around, whack people, be super racist, and God's cool with that. Like, that's, that's fine, um, <laughs> right? So you see there is a path. And then there's the snowdrift of legalism on one side and the ditch of what's called cheap grace on the other. Paul even addresses this. In Romans 6, he says, are we going to sin that grace abounds? Like Paul talks about, yeah, you can't earn it. It is by Jesus alone. 
But are we going to sin that grace abounds? And now we're all getting confused. Well, which is it? Does it matter what I do? Does it not matter what I do? Is it by grace? Is it by obedience? Right? Even some of us even have kind of like a dynamic that we've been taught that law is the bad guy and grace is the good guy. That would be news to Jesus. Jesus said, I've not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill it. So something else must be going on. Maybe we have a hold of the wrong end of this thing. I want to talk about the road, not the ditch or the snowdrift here. It is not grace or obedience. The two don't need to be reconciled because they're friends. They are like a bow and an arrow. Grace empowers obedience. Grace empowers obedience. The Ten Commandments are quite famous. I think we've all at least heard of them. And if I ask people, what's the first commandment? Most of us aren't going to know. But some of us who are a, got A's in whatever Bible thing you did would know that the first commandment is, come on A's, you shall have no other gods before me. And that's right, but that's not how it starts. Look at what comes just before in verses 1 and 2. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So what comes before the command? Grace does. Who God is and what God has done. Who is God? He says, I am Yahweh, your God. And what has he done? He brought this, this people, his people, out of Egypt, out of bondage in Egypt. He delivered them. His grace is what leads to this first command. Because I did this for you and this is who I am, you shall have no other gods. So we aren't going to talk about the Ten Commandments. Instead, today, we're, we're taking a 20,000-foot look at the relationship between who God is and what he's done. That's grace and how it gives power to obedience. That grace empowers obedience. Now you're going to say, I am not an ancient Israelite who was delivered out of the house of slavery by God. That's true. We have an even greater deliverance. We weren't delivered from Pharaoh in Egypt, but from sin and death by Jesus. How much more so? Does the grace that is ours in Christ empower obedience? Now, you might be saying, okay, I'm open. Show me how grace empowers obedience. Well, the first way is grace grounds obedience in relationship. And I know that Westerners don't like the word obedience. I'm using it on purpose to make you cringe. Grace grounds obedience in relationship. He does not say, I am, and by the way, that, that capital L-O-R-D there, that's your Bible trying to tell you that the Hebrew word there is not Lord, Adonai. It's Yahweh, God's personal covenant name. So he says, I am Yahweh. This is God saying, I am your God. He doesn't say a God or the God. He says, your God. He's saying, my people own me. It's a relationship, you see? It is not king and subjects. It is father and children. How does that change how we understand obedience? Grace grounding obedience in relationship. Well, I, um, I used to smoke cigarettes 
And uh, cigarettes and I had a great time with Russian novels back in the day. It was <laughs> something I really liked. And those of you who, who do smoke cigarettes or did smoke cigarettes, I'm not going to name any names, you know that there are some people who feel, I don't know who smokes, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are some people who feel license to go <coughs> when you smoke or tell you things like that's very bad for you and that smoking is a disgusting habit. Now that's true. <laughs> and people used to do that to me and it did not move me away from smoking one bit. Right? It, it kind of made me dig in a little more because I'm just that kind of person. But then, I got married to Sharon. Hey, yo. <laughs> Indeed. And the night that we got married, she said, I, I would really like you to stop smoking because I want you to, like, live. <laughs> <laughs> and I did. I haven't smoked since. And, and it's a whole different ball game of someone from inside of relationship saying, hey, I want what's best for you. I want you to live. And listening to them, as opposed to someone who's just kind of throwing a grenade at you. Do this! We don't obey God so that we're saved. We obey God because he saved us. We don't obey God to get God to love us more. God has loved us, therefore we obey. It's, it's relational. Every single relationship there is has obedience involved, whether it's a friendship, a family relationship, a, a parental relationship, a, a marriage relationship. There are rules that come with this, aren't there? You're going to treat me with respect. We're going to be honest with one another. We're going to be faithful to one another. There are rules and conditions built into the nature of relationship. It's a whole different ballgame from I'm going to nervously try and earn God's approval. It's saying you're in relationship with God, therefore we obey God. And here's the other thing. A lot of the time when we look at the commands of the Bible, we think, oh, God just thinks of things that we like to do and then says no. Right? I know some of you want to lie under oath. <laughs> but that's not what it is. Our relationship with God is as father and children. What kind of parent says, do whatever you want to do? Eat whatever you want to eat. Go to school, don't go to school. I don't care. What kind of parent is that? Is that a loving parent? No. And so when we look at God's word and we find commandments in it, Sometimes they're going to clamp down on things we want to do. It's not because God's trying to ruin our fun. It's because God wants us to live. He wants us to walk paths of life. He wants us to know joy. He wants us to know contentment. And, and that's why we're called to obedience. It isn't a thing that, that's supposed to destroy and ruin your life, but to give you life to the fullest. Now, you might say, fine and good. I've tried to obey God. I didn't make it past 9.30, and I got up at 8.45 <laughs> before I really seriously blew it. Well, grace not only grounds obedience in, in relationship, it enables obedience. Now, usually at Grace and Peace, we stick to one text. We're going to range through the Bible a little bit. You can flip if you're fast, but we're going to have it right here. Take a look with me at 2 Corinthians 3.18. 
how does grace enable obedience? It says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So how does God's grace enable? Well, through the Holy Spirit. There is a new presence in our lives that exerts an influence on our behavior. The Holy Spirit is called holy for a reason. The longer you walk with God, the more influence on your life, on your psyche, right? Like we are these broken people and God takes up residence within us and begins putting us back together. That is one way grace enables obedience. And also the Holy Spirit brings us to renewal. Look at Colossians 3.10 with me. It says, you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So not only is there the Holy Spirit, this new transformative presence in our life, but the Holy Spirit is renewing us into the image of God. Like, you will find that if you walk seriously with God over time, that your desires change. You start saying, you know, I'm not maybe into these fleeting pleasures as much as I am into knowing and loving God more. You, for some of you, you're like, really? You get there? It's like, yeah. It's crazy. It, your, your desires begin to transform. Grace enabling obedience, it's kind of like, um, you know, if you, if you go, it, 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 let's say you haven't eaten in a week. Right, and, and you're, you're totally calorie deficient, like your muscles aren't working, your organs are beginning to like not work so good, and someone says, now get up and run a mile. Can you do it? Mm -mm. I'd say a lot of the time, our attempts at obedience without God's grace, right? When we attempt to walk in God's ways without God's grace, that's what we're like. We don't fuel up on God's grace. On, on the other hand, if if you had a proper diet and, you know, you're, you're fed up and all that, and someone says, get up and run a mile, well, some of you are still going to decline that, but you could do it. You could do it. You have the fuel for it. You, you see the difference. That's what it means that grace enables obedience. So how do we lay hold of grace? Those of you who have been around our church a little bit, you know what I'm, I'm about to say. I'm a broken record on this. It's called the means of grace. That's what theologians call it, and it's not rocket surgery. It's reading the Word of God. Whether you read it slow, whether you read it fast, whether you like to listen to a sermon, you want to listen to it on audio, whatever, get it. The Word of God is fuel in the tank of God's grace. It transforms us. It gives us power. The sacraments, what we do every single week, when we take communion, or if you've been baptized and you witness a baptism, church fellowship, when we are in real relationship with one another as a church, God's grace is being given to each other through those relationships, coming and worshiping, um, serving. There are a number of others, but the more that you are regularly tapping into God's grace through the means of grace, you are going to find your obedience empowered. I know I can speak from personal experience. When I am regularly in the Word, when I am regularly praying, and not just praying grocery list things, but actually engaging with God, 
my whole character takes a, a turn towards Jesus, right? I, I find myself with more patience. I find myself with less desire uh, for things that I shouldn't be desiring. It, the more that we tap into God's grace, the more it's going to enable our obedience. But no matter what, we are going to encounter real difficulties in obeying God. There is no day you're going to wake up sinless. Not me, not you, not anybody. Holiest person you've ever thought of. I don't care who it is. They never reached it this side of heaven. And so what do we do? Because we could easily get discouraged. Right? Like, let's say that you are trying to, con- you're trying to overcome a certain pattern of sin. Whether it's your behavior on the internet. Or trying to be of gracious character. Or trying to be content in Christ and not be a shopaholic, right? You realize that, that you, you, you're doing retail therapy. You're trying to heal your soul by just buying things on Amazon. It, it, it happens. And let's say you say, okay, I repent, Lord. I turn from my sin, and I'm going to try and, and walk in obedience. And let's say you get, you know, some weeks together of walking in faithfulness in that particular thing. And then one day, for whatever reason, you, you blow it. Now, for a lot of us, that causes us to tailspin. It's so discouraging because we say, I thought I was finally over that. I thought I had broken through. I thought I had finally become faithful in this. I thought I could walk in obedience. And and now, now I, I, I think I'm hopeless with this. Grace the grace of God actually encourages us to obey in those times. Instead of going into a tailspin, because we have a very all-or-nothing-at-all mentality, either I'm walking the walk or I am done. Grace actually encourages obedience. And I'm going to explain it in a minute here, but let's look at a text real quick. Romans 8, 38 through 39. We got it. It says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers. Did he leave anything out? Oh, yeah, he let out, left out heights. He covers it. Nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to do what? To separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, just take a, take a wild swing at this one. Do you think... He means only these things, or he's trying to say everything. Yeah, this is his list to say, there's nothing at all that can separate you from God's love in Christ Jesus. Question, does that include your own sin and failure? You bet it does. So, is that, does that text, if we apply this correctly, is that saying, in the very moment you've blown it, in the very moment when you had you had vowed to be more gracious to your children or your spouse and you lose your temper in a totally immature way. Does it, does, has, has God's love in Christ still on you then? The moment you have gone somewhere on the internet you should not go, is the love of God in Christ still on you then? Yes. Okay? Now how does that actually encourage obedience? Well, it keeps us from going in the tailspin. 
I, I, I'm very sad right now um, at the way my Lakers have gotten eliminated in humiliating fashion. I hope they don't tailspin. Nuggets fans are still in it. I'm, I'm with you. But, um, you know, one of my favorite coaches of the last several years, the guy who revolutionized the game of basketball in the NBA to make it more scoring friendly is a guy named Mike D'Antoni. Any D'Antoni? Sports play. That's what I just said to some of you. I just said secondary zone defense to some of you. Okay, Mike D'Antoni's a basketball coach. Now, his story's interesting. Back when Mike D'Antoni was in college, he was one of the top scoring point guards in, in all of college basketball. It was a long time ago at Marshall. And in his senior year, he got a new coach who did not trust him. And every shot that Mike D'Antoni missed, the coach would say, well, what would you take that shot for? He would criticize each and every shot that he missed. Now, I'm guessing all of us have, have played at least informal basketball at some point, right? When you miss a shot, like, <laughs> so it happens. Like, you, you, you take a shot and you miss it, and one of your teammates goes, dude, you're supposed to hit that. You're like, oh, thanks for sharing that secret game-winning strategy with me. I was not aware I was supposed to hit it. Thank you. I'll, I'll hit it next time. Right? <laughs> it's not encouraging, is it? Like the, those, when there's consequences, when there's like a, a whip that comes with missing, it, it, it's not encouraging. And so Mike D'Antoni, after all this criticism, he was only attempting two or three shots a game. This from a guard. A guard is someone who shoots, okay, non-sports people. And he, he didn't really make it in the NBA, and so he went to play Italian League, and he got this new coach who sat him down and he said, Mike, I want you to know something. No matter how bad you shoot in a night, I'm not putting you on the bench. You're staying in the game. You're my guy. In fact, I am requiring you to take at least 12 shots a game. Let me put this clearly. If you make two shots and miss 17, I have no problem with that. If you make one and miss 10, I do have a problem with that because you didn't take 12. And Mike D'Antoni's offensive game, that scoring, flourished. They, he won league MVP. They won championships. And he brought that to the NBA, where he completely revolutionized offense. He doesn't criticize players for missing shots. He only criticizes them for not taking them. And the offenses under Mike D'Antoni flourished. They're the highest, some of the highest scoring offenses. Now the league's caught up with them. The grace there, the forgiveness, the, the lack of consequences encourages greater performance in that case, you see? In the same way, the grace of God is total. You can't do anything to make God love you less. Once you are in Christ, there is nothing you can do to lose your salvation, period, and end of story. You're saved. It's what he's done, not what you've done. And far from discouraging us from obedience, it encourages us. When you blow it, failure is not fatal. God, in that moment, says to you and me, get up again. I still love you. You're still saved. Don't, don't tailspin. Get up again. Walk again. So grace empowers obedience because it grounds it in relationship, it enables it, and it encourages obedience. 
It's amazing what we find ourselves actually capable of when we rely upon who God is and what he's done for us. God's grace empowers us to obey. Sharon and I used to run a, a group home. And, um, and one of the things, we, it was through the YMCA, and so we, we would take the kids to the Y all the time, and we'd, we'd you know, go swimming. That's something, we, it was in Tennessee, it was hot, go swimming. And, um, and there was one kid named John who I would notice, you know, the other kids would like race each other, go to the deep end. He would never go to the deep end. He was 13 years old. He was also about 6'1 and 210 at <laughs> 13. And so I went to John and I was like, hey, man, I noticed you don't, uh, you don't ever go to the deep end. You, you don't know how to swim, do you? He's like, no, no one ever taught me. I'm like, okay, young man, would you like to? He said, yeah, that'd be great, but I'm really afraid. And I understood. So I said, look, I happen to be a pretty good swimmer. I said, I, said, I will teach you. All right, so don't worry about swimming yet. I'm just going to teach you. So we worked on his kick. We worked on his stroke. He went at it. He really wanted to learn. We got him goggles, all of it. And then we would just go a little further, get his stroke down, and then the day came where he was going to swim one length all the way to the deep end. And he was geeked up for it. And, and, but he was, he was really afraid. He says, well, what if, what if I can't make it? I said, look, don't worry. Here's what we're going to do. You are going to swim. I'm going to go right next to you. And when you get to where you can't touch anymore, I'm going to swim. Now, please give me props for being able to hold my breath this long. I'm going to swim under you. Uh, and you're going to look down at me. I'm going to be looking up at you. And if I see you start to, to, to flail or whatever, I'm going to save you. I had no idea how I was going to save him. I was still, but you're going to see me. I'm going to be there supporting you. And so we did. And, I, and he starts going. And he's, he's getting down, and we get to the part, I see him look down, and I give him the thumbs up, and, and he keeps going. And when that kid got to the other side, he was smiling ear to ear. He had done it, right? And then from then on, he was able to do it. He was a swimming fool after that. Now, forgive me for putting myself in the place of God's grace, but that is a good picture of it. <laughs> That is a good picture of it. God doesn't just say to us, obey me. God certainly does not say, obey me or else. What he does say is, I am with you. I will give you the ability. I want what's best for you. We need to avoid the snowdrift of legalism and the ditch of cheap grace and instead obey by grace, because God's grace empowers us to obey. Now, if we can track with that, the rest of this Ten Commandments series is going to be a cinch. This is really the groundwork for understanding the law of God rightly. Please pray with me.